Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, Man United pundits getting called out for being too close to Solskjaer. Bundesliga goes dark on an embarrassing day for ESPN+. The joyous return of football supporters as they return to stadiums in England. Latest news from Disney Plus and CBS All Access for soccer fans. Plus, we have letters for the listeners in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host Kartik Krishnayar. If you're new to the podcast, uh, we're your weekly guide uh, to getting the best out of soccer viewing options from around the world. Uh, we often talk about some of the, the highlights and some of the things to look forward to and some of the news that uh, will definitely en- enrich your soccer viewing experience. Now, Kartik, uh, it's been an eventful week across around the world. I mean, from everything last weekend, from uh, MLS playoff games to, of course, uh, title races, relegation battles, uh, of course, the uh, Champions League, Copa Libertadores, Europa League, uh, and a whole bunch of other games from around the world. But anything in particular that stood out for you? Anything that was kind of your highlight or your most exciting uh, 90 minutes? Yeah, I think uh, the, the 180 minutes of the Chivas Leon uh, two leg tie was was pretty exciting in Liga MX, and uh, we had one of the legs actually on NBCSN, uh, which was uh, a, a nice, pleasant surprise. In uh, actually, that might even been last week. Now I'm trying to. I'm trying to there's been so much football. Yeah, it was like last uh, Wednesday. Or, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in English. The second leg was on on Saturday night. Um, so I think I think that was memorable for me. Those, those two legs, and then I would also say really enjoyed the the, the Bayern Leipzig match uh, that and having Steve Ferrandolo on Coca commentary in American for such a big match in, in European football was really cool. He, he paired with Phil Bonney on that match. And I would also say that I was uh, really uh, impressed today with CBS, with the Golazzo show around Europa League, which uh, featured Rafa Honingstein in addition to Gus Poyer and uh, Nico Contour. I think this format is best for Europa League. It's better for Europa League than it is for Champions League. And there were so many, uh, it, it just, you know, in Champions League, once again, 15 out of the 16 teams that advanced to the knockout stage were from the big five leagues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just seems too predictable. Yeah, there are some dramatic moments, right? Uh, Inter and Shakhtar, either one gets a goal, they go through. 
uh, neither can get a goal. So there, there were some uh, dramatic moments, but I, I really think that today uh, with Europa League, final match day of the group stage and lots of tight groups, uh, particularly for second between second and third. And remember, third place in Europa League as of you know, still this this year, this competition uh, is out of Europe completely. There was a lot of dramatic games. So really enjoyed that and thought uh, the energy we've had from Nico Contour and Gus Poyer got channeled even uh, stronger today. Uh, and Honigstein being in the studio helped as well. Yeah, for me, my favorite, my my uh, best game that I saw was uh, RB Leipzig against Man United, uh, a 3-2 game to Leipzig, uh, really kind of a back and forth game. And, and and for a while, it looked like this was going to be almost a uh, Southampton against Manchester United with Man United coming back uh, to either equalize in this game or, or, or to win it at the end. And they had the... I think it was uh, Bruno Fernandes' um, free kick hit the crossbar. They came close on a number of occasions. But it was an exciting game. But the other thing I liked about this game, though, too, is that in previous years, when Manchester United have been knocked out of the Champions League, so whether that was on Turner Sports or whether that was on Fox Sports, and we've had quite a few of um, uh, instances where Man United have been knocked out uh, in the earlier rounds, what ends up happening is that the, when, it, when it goes back to the studio uh, or to the commentator, it's almost as if someone died. It, it's just like really, really like you can tell the energy levels are low. You can tell that uh, they're really not excited because they were hoping that Man United would go through because they're, I mean, they're still a box office team. They, they generate uh, massive TV ratings. And, and in this game at the very end with uh, Peter Drury and Jim Beglin commentating on it, uh, I was really happy because at the end, final whistle, you could tell in Peter Drury's voice that he maintained that upbeat um, commentating. And, and he, he, was, he sounded excited. What a great game this was. I mean, RB, RB, RB Leipzig, a massive uh, accomplish, accomplishment here against the odds, against a team. Yeah, Man United definitely uh, going through some rough times. Inconsistent probably is the best word but crashing out of Europe. And it wasn't a down a downbeat, dour, uh, kind of, uh, you mean, two or three minutes after the final whistle. Having said that, though, Kartik, and I missed this, so I, I, wanna, I want you to set it up. But uh, from what I understand uh, on ESPN FC this week, uh, Craig Burley had some pointed criticisms to give about, uh, about analysts, uh, they're in the game, whether they're in the UK or, or the US. But I'm wondering if you can give, for, for those who missed it, myself included, some backstory and then uh, whether you agree with Craig or not. Yeah, so... Craig Burley was talking specifically about uh, kind of the, I would say, the bro culture of Man United, former players in the media in the UK. And he's talked about this before. He talked about it a year ago when Solskjaer seemed to be getting less scrutiny than Mourinho or Van Hal or Moyes did. And that the agenda was really set by some of the former Manchester United players who would uh, duck away from from uh, talking about uh, the situation or cast blame on Ed Woodward, cast blame on Paul Pogba, whoever else, but but defend uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, ironically enough, Craig Burley brings it up again on Tuesday night on ESPN FC, and I don't know if Craig had actually seen what had happened on CBS earlier, probably, well, they, they, they do it at 7 at ESPN FC, so what had happened on CBS at about 520 uh, Eastern time, when we're talking Eastern time now, when Kate Abdo asked a perfectly innocent question to Peter Schmeichel, 
another one of those former Manchester United players, uh, former teammate of Uli uh, Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, and, of course, uh, Solskjaer scored the winning goal in, uh, in Schmeichel's last match as a Man United player, as we know, Champions League final in 1999. And Schmeichel was disgusted with the question, was visibly disgusted, started to dance around, and then when Kate tried to redirect and, and, and in a very good-natured way, ask him, well, but, but, but Peter, obviously the results are this. And he got snippy. He said, don't cut me off. I'm still talking or something along those lines and proceeded to give this defense of Solskjaer and, and, and this kind of attack on everybody else. So he inherited a bad lot from Mourinho. Ed Woodward isn't doing a great job. There's a cultural problem at the club that predates him. All of that sort of stuff. Now, I'm very neutral on the Solskjaer issue. I actually think Solskjaer has done a pretty good job in certain big matches. He's beaten, he beat Pep Guardiola three times last year, for instance. And uh, you see the, the rallying effect he seems to have after halftime at Southampton, who I think listeners of this podcast know I rate as a top six, top seven team in England this season. Uh, and at West Ham, uh, in this game match, he was outdone by Nagelsmann, which, by the way, to your point about uh, Drury and Beglin, they they were the right uh, – they uh, they're usually the right uh, – commentators right mm-hmm. for uh for these sort of occasions but especially this because it seemed like both of them understood Nogglesman's tactics and how Nogglesman had set up the team and what he wanted to do versus united uh better than most people you'd pull out of the uk would know right he, he they they clearly had watched a lot of leipzig and understood uh the, 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 how the team has progressed without timo Werner uh this season so uh anyway but back to the overall point so Burley, about an hour later, calls it out on ESPN FC uh, that there's this culture in the UK to not discuss Solskjaer. And because there's so much influence of former Man United players in the British media, which we know is the case, that he's not getting the kind of criticism that he should be getting. And he's not getting the sort, he's not being judged by the same standard Mourinho, Van Hal, and Moyes were. I tweet about it. Uh, within seconds of watching ESPN FC, and uh, I guess it started a firestorm. Uh, uh, everybody's in their camp, right? There are people who don't like Solskjaer, and there are people who do like him, and, and, and they're, they're debating on those merits. They're not actually debating on the merit of what Burley said and what I was reiterating and what we saw from Schmeichel, which is there is this culture of former players who don't want to criticize a mate of theirs. And that's a very dangerous thing in soccer slash football media, Chris. That, that, and And... To Craig Burley's credit, not only is he calling it out, he's one of the few former players who had who has had no problem calling out former teammates of him who of his who become coaches or become executives who may not be doing such a good job. Unfortunately, all too often we see buddies pull punches, whether it's on this side of the Atlantic or in the UK, uh, when their former teammates are involved. It's interesting too because. I don't think this is as much of a, a, a U.S. problem. Um, it's more of a U.K. problem. So, for example, I, uh, as you were talking, I was going through my head as far as which were uh, which uh, former Manchester United players are in prominent roles in the U.K. Um, U.K. media, television, you mean Sky Sports, BT Sport, etc. Uh, and the ones that come to mind are Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand. Uh, Owen Hargreaves, Paul Scholes. I mean, it, it is one of those things that there's a reason that they hire these guys. I mean, yes, they're, they're champions. Yes, they've accomplished a lot in their career. 
But also they know that uh, Manchester United fans make up, uh, especially in the UK, probably the majority of the soccer fans. If you had to take percentages, yes, Liverpool would be close, but then you've got uh, the other clubs too. But Manchester United uh, are the most popular club, uh, English club in the Premier League in England. But then in the US, you don't get as much of that. I mean, you, you go through, say... Um, even the ones that are Euro, that are European or, or uh, from Europe that work for ESPN or for Fox Sports or for NBC Sports, you think of uh, the two Robbies. I mean, uh, Robbie Earl would have been what Port Vale and Wimbledon. Robbie yeah. Mus- Musto is Middlesbrough. Uh, the ESPN FC crew. I mean, Steve Nichol, Liverpool, of course. Uh, Craig Burley, Chelsea. Um, Shaka Hislop, West Ham United and Newcastle United, uh, Fox Sports, you look at them and you go, okay, Alexi Lalas, you mean uh, Padova, you know, LA Galaxy, New York Metro Stars, and Jovan Karoski, Borussia Dortmund, and, and even you, you go down the list uh, stateside and it is more diverse as far as the clubs. It's not like we have a, uh, I don't know, NYCFC crew and, and they seem to be everywhere. Um, that doesn't happen over here, so we, we don't get to experience that. And even in the UK too, I think I think Craig Burley bringing this up is is definitely a valid point um, about kind of the the old boys club where they're a little bit more guarded. They probably won't be saying some things that are in their mind. Uh, they'll be a little bit more careful about what they say. Maybe they want to continue having a ambassador role with a club, or they know that uh, don't don't shake the boat too much because that could cause um, issues, or that could, that that could be something that uh, the press write about, and then all of a sudden it's Peter Schmeichel looking that he's criticizing Man United players. He wants to protect them a little bit because he wants to keep on good terms with the club. Yeah, it, it's interesting, Kartik. I mean, can, can you think of any um, other examples or, or is it pretty much, I guess, Liverpool, right? I mean, you had yeah. Robbie Fowler, uh, Jamie Carragher, Steve McManaman. There's probably a Liverpool... Media uh, players. Uh, so, Michael Owen. Yeah, John Barnes. Uh, there, there's, uh, yeah, I think Liverpool is the same thing. And this was something Jose Mourinho, early in his second stint at Chelsea, complained about, that there were too many... Uh, Liverpool and Man United men in the media. Now, ironically, he would go on to to manage uh, Man United. I, I, I think what we have in the UK media is a lot of writers who are West Ham or Tottenham fans. I think there's a disproportionate number of fans of those two clubs who are football writers, but they they are not they they're not prone to the same sort of biases as former players who are brand ambassadors as you said trying to keep their own access and and I have to say also the analysis of this match so I ESPN FC the night before uh, Don Hutchison was on he's watched a lot of Leipzig the last few years and 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 Craig Burley was on as usual and and Burley correctly Peggy said even though United had won the, the, the leg at Old Trafford 5-0 there were large portions of that match where you saw Nagelsmann out thinking Solskjaer. Now at home with everything to play for, he kind of fancied the idea of Nagelsmann getting the better of, of Solskjaer. Uh, and, and that happened. So part of it was, you know, Burley saying, Hey, I, it's right. You know, this, the matchup between these two managers, <laughs> I told you Nagelsmann would get the best of them, but uh, no one else in the UK media wanted to acknowledge that. But yeah, the former player thing, 
I, I think it's it's Liverpool, Man United, maybe a lesser extent Arsenal, but they're not as many. I, I mean, Martin Keown and, and Lee Dixon, obviously Lee Dixon's doing more stuff now uh, on, on U.S. television. I think it's really Liverpool and Man United, Chris, mm-hmm. which yep. uh, has created this this. And I have to say it also contributes to the victimization complex that I've dealt with. People who follow me on Twitter know I've been dealing with this. The victimization complex so many Manchester City fans have that you can't say anything slightly critical of Manchester City. They come after you, and it comes from be- having this sort of complex because your biggest rival is overrepresented in the media, and then now your 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 in your out kind of title rival is overrepresented in in the media. They're former players, so. Uh, but yeah, I, I the thing that I think was so important in this discussion this week, Chris, and the reason I highlighted it is we I, I've I've heard Burley talk about this now for, for years and then more specifically related to Solskjaer in the last year, year and a half. And, and he's right. And, and he's experienced it because as a former Chelsea player, if, if the listeners aren't aware of this, most of his teammates, uh, in, in fact, one of them was Gus Poyet, who, who you see on CBS now, but Poyet went on to be a manager, Dennis Wise, uh, Viali, uh, 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 Steve Clark, Hulit, Hulit, yeah, Zola, bunch of guys, right? Yeah. Um, so he he understands this that that he had an obligation as a media member to critique Zola and Poyet and uh, and, and Viali's management. He just couldn't be mates with them uh, if he was going to do the best job he could in the media. And so he's pointed this out for years, and. I, I have believed him. I've known it's true. However, I had never seen it on full display until this week uh, because it's never been on U.S. television. And we saw it with Peter Schmeichel. I, I give Kate Abdo all the credit in the world. She, she, she kept her composure. She, she was good-natured about it. Right. Um, I think she, she did her job. Yeah, she did her job. She right. did a very good job. But I think I think she knew what was going on. I think she knew why Schmeichel got defensive and realized, oh, okay, I triggered something. But um, that which is, is which is good. Some- which is good though too that she does that if she knows that where if she it's good television, right? It's it's putting someone on on the edge, making them feel a little bit uncomfortable, get, getting them out of the comfort zone, and see how they really answer that question. You mean? Yeah. And I'm sure from Schmeichel's point of view that that's probably his honest opinion, perhaps. Um, and even though you I mean it, it's not what we would expect from, say, a, more of a neutral analyst. Yeah, I'm not sure if she knew how he was going to react when she asked the question. I think then once he got angry, she realized, oh, yeah, this is why. So or once he got uh, 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 evasive and then I'm going to I'm going to interrupt and try and get it out of him right. which was really good so um she went up her stock went up big time in my book this week uh, i mean she's she does a good job but this was i thought a really really important moment for a presenter to 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 hold it to ask the question and then hold it together and she did that and that's the thing that too it's not that uh, all manchester united um former players are who are analysts are in this camp. A perfect example of this is uh, Danny Higginbotham, who a lot of people kind of would think of Stoke City, but also former Manchester United player. And he's somebody that uh, I'm not sure if you caught this this past weekend, Kartik, uh, but was on was on was in the analyst Monday, chair yeah, Monday, for, yeah. for NBC Sports on Monday. And finally, I think I think this was a really great boost for for NBC Sports. They've been. Really, since Kyle Martino has left, they've been lacking that really, really good analyst to come in and really dissect things and really give us some um, enrichment, enlighten us in terms of some of the things that he sees that uh, helps to accentuate the game that, that we we watch. 
I mean, really, to me, I think he's the the missing link. I think if you can bring in Higginbotham uh, for the rest of the TV deal, which is like what this season and and, um, and next season with NBC Sports, I, I think that that's a that's a home run hit. What do you think? Yeah, I agree, and I, I like how uh, Ahmed Farid brought him in uh, at the beginning of the show. I was not expecting it, uh, and, and I knew he had relocated to the U.S., but I, I, I was not expecting it and, and happened to be watching, right? I don't always watch uh, these pre-match shows, and, and just happened to be watching and was pretty excited. And uh, it turned out he and he and uh, Musto had, had, had a bit of a cadence already. They had a bit of a uh, – obviously, they had, they had, done, they had practiced uh, in terms of their, their analysis. And the thing I really liked is that with Higginbotham – on set in the post-match show, uh, we could criticize them for shifting to Paul Pogba after 10 minutes, right? Um, but uh, Ahmed Farid hosting, Robbie Musto uh, flanked alongside Danny Higginbotham. There was a good 10-minute conversation about the match we had seen on Monday, which featured two non-Big Six sides and featured you know, Brighton once again playing and Higginbotham said it at the outset, actually, on the on the pre-match show, uh, Brighton, as I think I've said on this show a number of times, uh, they're, they're, they've played so well. They play such good football, and they never get the results. And that's, that happened again in this match. But they had a conversation, Chris, that they would not have had on previous Mondays when Higginbotham wasn't there and there were two non-Big Six teams playing. I think the conversation immediately would have turned to, to Pogba or what was going on at Liverpool or Jose Mourinho. They had a good 10-minute. Uh, I would like them to spend the whole show dissecting the match we just saw, but that was a good uh, kind of return to form for NBC. And, and you're right, adding Higginbotham to the studio uh, brings also a knowledge and a willingness to talk about non-Big Six sides and, and a different perspective and, and the kind of cutting-edge analysis that has been missing this year with Kyle Martino not there. Yeah, let's hope we see more of him. Uh, he's been doing some work for CBS Sports HQ also um, for the Champions League, some of the, the pregame. Um, so fingers crossed, hopefully NBC Sports makes the right decision there because that, that's a great ad if they decide to uh, keep on bringing him back. One, one more thing, Kartik, before we move on to the um, TV streaming news. And this was a rare instance where ESPN Plus completely dropped the ball. La- yeah. la- last Saturday, Bundesliga, I mean, many of us tuning in um, around about the 9.30 mark Eastern time to watch some big games uh, from the German league. And um, it was down. They had technical problems. There was zero communication um, on, on Twitter. Uh, people kind of guessing maybe it was weather-related. But then there was one of the games, um, the Bielefeld, uh, a game that was still playing. Mind game, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. And then championship games were working on ESPN+. Plus. Those were fine. And then probably about the, I think it was like about the 70th minute mark, um, it finally came back on. So for most, I mean, the vast majority of uh, fans who wanted to watch the Bundesliga, we missed more than three quarters of those games. Um, All of them are available on replay if you want to go back. But it's the live moments that we we savor, we watch. And what, what a meltdown this was. Hopefully this doesn't happen again. Yeah, a couple of things. We missed the arena's fantastic goal that equalized for Dortmund live. And then the second thing is a little bit of a benefit for me was that uh, I, I go on talk sport regularly, usually on Sunday, Sunday nights, U.S. time. Uh, 
Monday morning, early hours, uh, UK time to recap the championship. And I was able to tell the presenter this week, hey, I watched several championship matches in its entire in their entirety. I'm usually giving you uh, analysis based on the, on the highlights or, or what I've gone back and watched. But because uh, the championship was the only soccer league watch working uh, in its entirety on ESPN Plus, I actually watched like four championship matches start to finish this uh, or most most of the matches uh, this weekend. So I was able to give better analysis maybe than I usually do when I go on uh, on UK radio. So that that was a little benefit for me. All right, so let's move on to TV streaming news, and uh, I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're recording this on, on, on Thursday evening. We've just gotten done with the Disney Investor Day presentation. I think many of you probably have caught some of the highlights of this, but uh, the, the big quick takeaways for me, 11.5 million ESPN plus subscribers, which is a, a pretty big number for for um a sports-only streaming platform. There are going to be some changes to ESPN+, Plus, which include uh, more written content, which uh, there has been more written content now than there was a year ago, but more exclusive written content with your ESPN Plus subscription coming in 2021. Uh, There's going to be a deal with Comcast to add Disney Plus and ESPN Plus to Xfinity X1 in Q1. There is also going to be an ESPN Plus uh, interface via Hulu sometime in 2021. I think they said in Q1. So that's going to be really cool if you're logged into Hulu. It gives you, and you're an ESPN Plus subscriber, it gives you another kind of ramp to watch soccer, which is really, really, really outstanding and, and another kind of all all um, platform, all entertainment platform for where you can watch soccer because obviously peacock and cbs all access have that currently where you can you're in you're in watching a movie or a television show or the news and you can flip to a a soccer match which is something that uh, maybe espn's a bit on the back foot with so they'll build that into hulu if you're an espn plus subscriber also with sports center uh type show every morning for espn plus so uh, some exciting news from espn plus uh one other quick note 86.8 million Disney Plus subscribers, a quarter of which are in India, so uh, maybe uh, about 60 million or 62 million, something like that, uh, in the U.S. But a uh, a huge number for Disney Plus. Uh, but they uh, also acknowledge that they need more content, and they're producing more content: Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo stuff uh, to compete with uh, the other streaming services, and also Discovery Plus, which will launch in uh, Q1 2021. Yeah, so uh, CBS All Access is also uh, trying to increase the number of subscribers they have, which which actually they've been doing very well too, uh, just as ESPN Plus has. And uh, this week, CBS All Access announced that um, the the app will be integrated into Comcast's Xfinity's X1 pay TV offering. And it's the first um, for Viacom CBS uh, streaming service to be added uh, to basically a cable box, right? Um, so the benefit of this is that it really brings CBS All Access into more households. Uh, Xfinity has got massive numbers in terms of number of subscribers in the US. I, I believe it's still going to be kind of an add-on. You still have to pay for it, uh, CBS All Access. 
but it's just a way to integrate that into your cable box so that you have uh, you have your Netflix, you have your Comcast and those Comcast channels, and then also CBS All Access. So to make it more accessible for soccer fans, instead of uh, going out of Comcast, going and then booting up a, a Roku or an Amazon Fire or whatever it may be, uh, this will make it easier for soccer fans to watch more Champions League and, uh, and Europa League, as well as uh, NWSL. All right, Kartik, uh, let's look at some of the TV ratings, some big numbers coming out from this past week. Uh, we're getting to that stage of the season where there's playoffs, there's uh, big Champions League games, etc. And uh, we had uh, the big number was um, almost 2 million viewers watched uh, Club Lyon against uh, Chivas on Univision on Saturday night. So 1.9 million people tuned in to watch that. Uh, and like you mentioned, Kartik, um, we've got the the play, uh, Liga MX playoff final, uh, the first leg and second leg uh, this weekend. The second leg, I believe, is Sunday. Um, the other big number, too, was uh, Barcelona against Juventus in the Champions League. This one also on Univision and Tudo NA. Uh, this was the most watched UEFA Champions League group stage game ever on US television. And this was 1.07 million people watched this one on Tuesday during office hours, right? During the middle of the day. Um, some of the other numbers that jumped out to um, West Ham against Man United on NBC on Saturday, 882,000. And also a very big number from um, from MLS, and that was Sporting KC uh, last Thursday night on Fox, over there, Fox against Minnesota United. Uh, 851,000 viewers on that one. And uh, that's one of the biggest numbers that they've had. Well, definitely the biggest number this season and uh, the biggest playoff number on Fox, I think in about 22 seasons. So a massive number there. Anything else, Kartik, that jumps out at you or any uh, other perspective to add to that? Yeah, that West Ham Man United uh, number is a little disappointing considering it was a Man United game on uh, – over the air television on NBC. I will admit, I didn't watch a minute of it. I was watching Bayern Leipzig and, and had intended to switch back and forth, but was so absorbed by uh, the, the, the match at the Allianz that I didn't switch back. And, and judging by my Twitter feed, the only people who were, who were that I saw on my Twitter feed who were tweeting about the match were actually Man United fans. It, it felt like most neutrals in the U.S. were watching um, the the Bayern, uh, the Bayern Leipzig match. Now, again, uh, we know that it's a very niche thing and not many people, we just mentioned only 11 and a half million uh, ESPN plus subscribers. And we know Bundesliga doesn't attract that many people, but I think the combination of Tyler Adams plus that matchup uh, and, and actually Chris Richards ended up playing, uh, I think right at the end of the match. Yeah. Uh, kind of lent itself to more American fans, maybe watching that match and hurting the NBC number for, for West Ham Man United. I'm not so sure on that, though, too, because if, if you were on Twitter and looking at the Twitterverse, you would think that the Bundesliga and all the U.S. men's national team players that play in Europe, uh, it just th- these numbers must be in the millions the, yeah. in terms of the number, the viewing numbers. And then when we get the viewing numbers for the games that, that they're featured in, and, and yes, it's, it's fantastic, it's exciting, everyone's talking about it, but then we look at the numbers, and the numbers are, ah, they're okay, but they're, they're not through the roof. So I, I think, again, that's kind of the, um, to me at least, is a little bit of the 
such a focus on Twitter where it's every, everything that ev- everyone's talking about it, right? Uh, yeah. or, or mentioning goals or you know, Weston McKenney's goal for Juventus. I mean, beautiful volley, gorgeous. Um, but I don't think that's the reason that uh, people are tuning in to watch Barcelona against Juventus on Univision. I think they're tuning in to watch what could be Messi and Ronaldo's um, last game on a major club tournament level that they're playing against each other. Uh, we don't know the next time they'll play each other. I mean, who knows when Barcelona will face Juventus in the Champions League again? Yeah. Um, but but the other thing, Kartik. So looking at this weekend, um, definitely a big weekend around Europe. You've got the uh, Madrid derby, you've got the South Wales derby, uh, Cardiff against Swansea. You have, of course, the Liga MX playoff final. You have um, Manchester derby, right? Manchester City against Manchester yeah. United, and then you have the MLS Cup final, which often, often, this would have been so much better on a weekday, I think, rather than on a weeknight. But still, on a Saturday Saturday night prime time on over the air Fox. If you had to estimate, what's your what's your educated guess of what this viewing number is going to be? And then, and we'll talk about it in, in next week's podcast. Um, I, I I'm actually surprised by that sporting Minnesota number. But again, that was a Thursday night, right? Uh, yeah, Thursday night. To, yeah, no Thursday yeah, night football. Right. So, um, that's uh, uh, I guess it's probably going to be low millions. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I have to admit, I'm more disconnected from the MLS and U.S. soccer scene than I've ever been. I, I haven't watched a minute and, of the playoffs. I'm not I'm not interested. I've lost I've just lost my interest in domestic club soccer. Because and, of and I'm probably uh, and I'm probably opposite for the first time yeah. in many years where I, I've been yeah. watching more of the MLS playoffs. I, I wasn't even aware that that Seattle Minnesota game was going on until I woke up on Tuesday morning, seven in the morning and had a press release from Minnesota United about them losing in the final. I thought uh, in the conference final, I thought, yeah, that's weird. That it was a Monday night. I, th- I thought maybe it was in the middle of the week. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm disconnected. So I don't I don't know that I can approximate it. And it, this doesn't mean I'm permanently disconnected. I, I just I was angry about the covid, the decision to, 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 to send teams of uh, uh, traveling teams and, and then all the covid breakouts that we've had. And by the way, there have been much more covid incidents in MLS and USL than there have been in even in, in European leagues of late. So um I feel my decision to not watch is kind of vindicated, but I'm not, I'm not the person to ask this season about viewership because I, I suppose all the normal people are viewing except for me. So maybe low, low 1.2 million or so 1.3 yeah. million. Yeah. It, it's a challenge because for me personally, I'm not excited about Columbus crew. I'm, I'm excited about Columbus crew, the club and how they were able to save the crew and um, they're a decent side. Um, but there's not, many sexy players that i'm like oh my gosh i gotta I got watch uh whoever it may be at columbus crew i mean I, i'm not a big uh jesse zardis fan I, I i know you have a lot more respect for him as as a player than than i do uh, on the other hand you have seattle who are you know the best club in mls and very predictably good i mean it, they keep on seem to in many years most years make it to the to the final of mls cup so so to me, it should be a pretty straightforward victory for Seattle Sounders. Uh, it might be a little bit tight in the beginning, but I mean, I, I think Seattle will, will win this. So my excitement level for this final is not that great. Um, I'm not as excited. If this was a Minnesota against Nashville, which would not be good nationwide, I think. But but for me, from a footballing point of view, in terms of 
the story of Nashville, you mean, first season in, and the story of Minnesota United, kind of against the odds, you mean, overcoming Sporting KC, and then ultimately failing. But, you mean, if they had gone all the way, I think that would have been a more exciting story. So, so for me, my prediction on the English language side for Fox for the final is 750,000 viewers. Uh, hopefully, it's, hopefully it's more than that. But uh, we will have to wait and see. And we'll talk about it on next week's podcast, Kartik. But uh, Doesn't Seattle alone have that many fans? Well, maybe not that many fans. But don't they alone have more fans than, than any other team? Uh, it's up there, right? I and mean, even nationwide. I mean, Seattle does have an, a, a nationwide, but more of a national footprint where there's fans nationwide that are that, that uh, you know enjoy watching seattle play yeah i mean hopefully yeah it should be i mean it's prime time saturday night um my estimation might be low yours might be high and we might find that it's right in the middle of that but that that's my prediction is the 750 on that one so it, it should it should be really interesting um before we go into listen mailbag kartik what's your uh must watch match this weekend um there's lots a lot to choose from but anything that uh listeners to should definitely watch yeah the madrid derby i mean i think we're on the cusp of atleti potentially and again i knock on wood because they never seem to win these matches right in la liga but then they did get the result against barcelona a few weeks ago uh, we're on the cusp of atleti potentially putting some distance between themselves and uh the, the other two big clubs in Spain in this season, this season where we thought Cholo Simeone, this would be it for him, right? That, 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 that his system had run its course. They've now got the new stadium. They've now spent money on some more attacking oriented players. He didn't seem able to adjust his tactics last season to those players. Now at Letty is playing good football, uh, good possession football at times, and also still playing the smart, strong, defensive football they have. I think that they, uh, in spite of their poor performance in in Champions League, uh, they got through, obviously, uh, even though Salzburg had some chances in that match. Uh, They look like they're poised to win La Liga this season. So I, I would not miss this match. I think it, it, I know there are a lot of big matches this week, but I think this is far and away the biggest match. This, this match could decide the title in La Liga. Unbelievable that we're saying that in December. But I, I just feel like Atleti, I don't know if you agree with me, Chris, and you watch more La Liga than I do, but I just feel like Atleti is, is, is significantly better than the other two top teams in Spain this year. I, I think yeah. uh, they, they become much more pragmatic in how they play. And, and uh, in, by pragmatic, I, I usually mean more defensive when I say that. I mean more they've, they've now shown an ability to be able to hold the ball and keep the ball. And Simeone has been able to, to, to incorporate players with attacking flair into a system. So I think this could be it. If they win this match, that, that could be it. Yeah, this is one of the worst uh, Real Madrid sides probably in, a, in about a decade. I mean, they're, they're, they're that poor. I mean, really just, I mean, you kind of think of uh, uh, the Galacticos and just how exciting and, and uh, pulsating and, and attacking they are. This this is the opposite of that. It's, it's a pretty um, average team, really, in terms of the way that they're playing. And Atleti is really, really kind of uh, picking up steam. Uh, Sociedad also in La Liga just doing so well with a, a much smaller budget uh, than some of these big clubs. For the, for me, this weekend, um, 
It's tough. I mean, for me personally, the one I'm watching, uh, looking forward to the most is the South Wales Derby between Cardiff City and Swansea City, which will be live on ESPN Plus on Saturday morning. But the, the tough thing about derbies oftentimes is they don't live up to their hype. So for a Cardiff or a Swansea fan, this means everything. For a Real Madrid fan or a, or an Atleti fan, this means everything. But oftentimes some of those derbies don't uh, become as as exciting as as we hope they will, just because it's so tight, so tense, um, and there's so much on the line. For me, my must-watch match this weekend is on Peacock Premium. It's on Saturday. It's the last match of the Premier League uh, Saturday, and it's Everton against Chelsea. Everton, who are, have massive holes in the back if uh, defensively, uh, but then... Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, up front, I mean, there, there, are, there seem to be scoring goals uh, plenty. And then Chelsea, who are um, becoming more and more exciting to watch. And especially uh, Olivia Giroud, uh, Giroud, who I think is really uh, shining in a role where he's not getting as much playing time as he as he should. He deserves more. And uh, this one for me is going to be a very fascinating game. Uh, having said that, too, you've got the Wolves against Aston Villa, another derby. Uh, I'm not sure what it is about this weekend, Kartik, with, with it being derbies around Europe. And then it seems to be always on the same weekend as the MLS Cup final. So th- there's definitely a lot of competition. Yeah, and that's always a, a bad break for MLS, really. And people are burnt out from, from football by the time. Uh, and both the Manchester derby and the, the um, Madrid derby are on Saturday. Uh, one quick note about that Chelsea match in Giroud, since you mentioned him. I know this isn't a TV-related thought or media-related thought, but Giroud uh, wants to stay in the France team as the number nine, and I think they need him. Deschamps needs him uh, starting and playing regularly e- e- for, for the Euros this summer. So uh, if Giroud is not starting regularly for Chelsea, he will he will probably force a move, be, whether whether it be on loan or, or, or well, that, that would see out his contract, actually. Uh, he would probably force a move in January. So I think it's also strategic for Lampard to keep playing him if he wants to keep him past January. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's move on to listener mailbag. First up is Molly DFW. She says, uh, I started watching soccer when I met my fiance as she played the sport as a student at Lehigh University. A colleague at work turned me on to your podcast and I listen every Thursday morning while I'm exercising at my gym before work. Through you guys, I have now um, been following Serie A, La Liga, Bundesliga, and uh, Jenny and I have always followed the Premier League. Jen is a big Everton fan, and I support Arsenal. You guys bring a great perspective on how soccer is covered in television, being very fair. Keep up the great work. And that's something, Kartik, that... um, yeah, we definitely appreciate Molly's kind words and feedback, but that's something that I think for you and I, we're probably watching more of the glo- global game also. Um, and at the same time, too, with having access and I mean, all of our listeners having more access to more leagues, more clubs, more competitions from around the world. There is so, so much to choose from. And I think just as our listeners are growing in terms of um, the leagues and clubs that they're interested in, I'm still finding interesting players and clubs and, and things that I, I probably didn't watch about 10 years ago. So it's it's been uh, really enjoyable. Yeah, thank you for that comment, Molly. And sorry we were a day late this week. Uh, we're doing this Thursday instead of Wednesday. On that note, Chris, what you just mentioned, that was what was so cool today about the Golazzo show on uh, CBS because I felt like I uh, was learning about clubs 
and how they were doing this season outside the top five leagues. As I said earlier, Champions League, 15 of the 16 knockout stage participants, Porto is the one exception, come from the big five leagues. Last season, it was 16 out of 16, right? So today, I got to see Eastern European clubs. I got to see an Israeli team advance. Got to see teams from Austria play and advance. Got to see Rangers advance. So... uh, I kind of liked today uh, for that reason. I felt like I was reconnecting with the global game. I've been trapped in this big five vortex of those top five leagues and, and got to appreciate the rest of, of, of continental football today. So I can definitely appreciate that sentiment, especially today. Next up is Giovanni. And Giovanni has a, a fantastic question. Uh, if you were the MLS commissioner for one day, what would you fix to make the league better? And I'll go first, Carter, because I've had a little bit more time to think about this, probably about five seconds more than you. But I I would say I would, day one, if I had one thing to change, is I would break up the single entity system. Because I think what it creates is very much a a franchise model where new teams are added, um, but it's... Each each team doesn't have a character. Each team doesn't have a lot of... um, unique perspective so for example i mean going down the line as far as even just the the, the kits that they wear they're all wearing adidas kits um you go down the line as far as the way the clubs are run they all run very similar ways Uh, as far as um spending i'd love to see some clubs if there wasn't a single entity system have some of the clubs have more uh autonomy um to go ahead and uh kind of uh, reach out to, you mean, the rest of the soccer fans in the, in the United States and uh, do things that MLS clubs right now are probably restricted from doing so. So that, that's, that's my hope, is that uh, if I was MLS commissioner for one day, I would break up that system. Yes, there's benefits of it in terms of financial, uh, but also it, it, it kind of reigns in a lot of these clubs where it feels plastic it feel if doesn't feel as authentic where um you can have maybe a club just go on, on a spending spree and just uh even buy some major players and and actually kind of uh shake things up a little bit what about you kartik uh mls commissioner for one day i think uh yeah breaking up single entity obviously would be my first priority as well uh, which which uh, you mentioned so i'll give another one which is shifting the calendar uh, i believe if you shift the calendar to a more European style calendar. And I know people from Minnesota are going to get upset and people from, from Seattle are going to get people from Toronto. Uh, of course, I will remind people that the uh, folks that this is a U.S. Uh, based league and a uh, U.S. sanctioned league in Canada at some point should have their own first division with first division teams in that first division. Now, now the CAN-PL, which is effectively the equivalent of a U.S. second division, is a great start. But uh, shifting the calendar, having a long winter break, right, maybe even longer than Germany's, but uh, being able to strategically take advantage of when youth soccer is playing, youth soccer season is effectively on the Euro calendar. Uh, and that's when schools are in. I'm, I, and also uh, in terms of player development, I, I've learned the hard way from being in the sport in this country, how difficult it is to develop players. If you're playing in the hottest months of the year, how difficult it is, how many times training gets scratched uh, or you're training kind of at half speed or you curtail training sessions. If you're a manager because of the weather uh, in the middle of the summer. And, and also uh, quite frankly, 
and this is this is also pretty important that the the violent weather uh, as the U.S. gets hotter, U.S. summers get hotter, the the, the thunderstorm. So calendar change would be mine uh, as a bonus in addition to your breaking up a single entity. Okay, the next two comments uh, are a little bit similar, so I'll, I'll go ahead and read uh, both of them out. First one is from Aram. And he says, uh, this past Sunday, after two legs, the Liga MX semifinal between Pumas and Cruz Azul ended 4-4 in aggregate. There was no extra time or shootout. Pumas advanced thanks to being the higher seed. I'm curious for your and Kartik's thoughts on whether this would be a good idea for the MLS single el- elimination playoff matches. Would certainly make the regular season way more important. And then uh, John Average Geek says... Um, would a league ever think about a modified point system? Some youth tournaments have it. Points for goal scoring, points for clean sheets, more points for wins, etc. Might be good for MLS with its unbalanced schedule. So you've got two, you mean kind of the unbalanced schedule and then also uh, Aram talking about um, kind of trying to make the, the regular season more interesting and uh, add, adding some kind of a, a different type type of system there as far as figuring out uh, the teams that progress. What do you think, Kartik? Yeah, I've mentioned before I, on the show, I think that the, that, that to me makes the Liga Emeki's regular season or, or, or tournaments, right? Whether it's the Apertura or Clausura, more important, the single matches in, the, in those tournaments more important than in MLS because you do get a benefit from being the higher seed if there is uh, if, if matches are or after two legs, if, if matches are level. So I, I definitely advocate that for MLS, 100%. So Aram, thank you for that. Uh, as far as the modified points, no. The NASL did that, the old NASL. I think it's uh, uh, it's ridiculous because there is a certain value to um, this is why I'm even kind of hedging on goal difference as a uh, as a tiebreaker anymore. I kind of like the uh, the idea that that Spain does head to head between teams as, as the first tiebreaker and, and UEFA does too, right? Champions League, uh, it's head to head and aggregate goals and head to head competition because I think that that discriminates against teams that are very well organized and are defensive and may win a lot of matches one nil. Although you do save maybe points for clean sheets, but um, yeah, MLS with its unbalanced schedule is a. Uh, I, I think you, that's why you have playoffs because I, I don't think that there's any reason to ever have a balanced schedule in MLS. I think it's madness to have teams flying over the all over the country and playing for LA an LA team to play a team in Boston as much as they play the other team in LA. I think it's ridiculous uh, just from a geographical standpoint. This isn't like one of the small <laughs> countries in Western Europe where you can balance balance schedules. So you have to have playoffs because of that. But I don't want to kind of g- game the, the whole playoff system by uh, giving a team that may have may have scored seven goals in one match a uh, uh, a, a uh, extra points. And then also, I think um, in terms of what the U.S. is trying to do as a soccer playing nation, and we know we've had these discussions right with Alexi Lalas. Alexi Lalas seems to get angry now that we want um, that when people like I mention, uh, and maybe right, rightly so, I mean, he's got his perspective, but that I mentioned that MLS uh, was created to, 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 to help uh, the U.S. men's national team and that it sh- and as long as the, there's an agreement where some is getting money from U.S. men's national team matches, that there should be some emphasis put on the men's national team and uh, considerations for, for U.S. soccer. I will say U.S. soccer under Greg Berhalter is trying to develop a possession-based style of play, a more possession-based style 
um, more fluid attack style of play. And uh, yeah, I know they scored however many goals he did against El Salvador in that meaningless friendly, but um, it would be good if MLS teams got got up one nil in a match and then knew how to keep keep the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, that would help U.S. soccer out a lot. So I, I actually do not want to encourage teams to just keep attacking and score goals and have all these uneven matches. I, I think it would actually be the wrong thing because. As Bruce Arena uh, pointed out when MLS started and all these kinds of suggestions came from the Lamar Hunts and the and the uh, Phil Anschutzes of the world, which was to uh, make bigger goals and maybe uh, have the NASL points uh, system. Bruce Arena, who was uh, actually at the time not the U.S. men's national team coach, he was D.C. United's coach, but he, he was in tune with international football. Uh, had, he and Kevin Payne, who was his general manager or his president uh, with uh, um, DC United, put a stop to all that talk because basically um, Bruce Arena's like, look, uh, my guys, our guys, U.S. guys have to compete uh, in international football. Don't change the rules on them because then we're going to be at right. a disadvantage, competitive disadvantage. So I think that's the bottom line. You're putting the U.S. and whatever other internationals are in your league at a competitive disadvantage if you start messing with the rules like that. Yeah, I, I agree. There's uh, no reason to overcomplicate matters and uh, just keep it simple. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. Two final comments, and both of these are along similar lines too, so I'll read both of these out. Uh, first up is from uh, Coolio Two Foots, and uh, Coolio Two Foots says, Watching the halftime talk on Peacock for Spurs and uh, Arsenal, and I have to say Tim Howard needs to step up his game. Both of the uh, two Robbies and Rebecca have been superb in their analysis and points. When I'm watching Tim Howard, it's like he's struggling to get his words out and not sure what to say. Michael F. says, I have to make a comment in relation to a earlier post uh, you've made on NBC Sports' Premier League studio studio coverage not being as good this season in comparison to previous season. This is not a knock on Tim Howard as much as a compliment to the two Robbies, who are collectively so good at breaking down match analysis. The energy level with Rebecca Lowe was considerably better with Musto back with Earl and and uh, uh, and Low this weekend, and it's just quite honestly a significant upgrade. As a comparison, I always thought that the two Robbies are better than anything the ESPN FC regular studio crew guys can deliver on Premier League analysis, objective and informative. Yeah, and and that's the thing though too is that I I, I think I agree. I think the two Robbies uh, together are great. We haven't seen a lot of them this season together because uh, with Tim Howard in and this kind of really uh, inconsistent lineup in terms of how many people are in the studio. Is it two people? Is it three? Um, And it's been rare that we've had four. So uh, when we've had the two Robbies, I think it's worked well and it's clicked. Uh, And as you saw with Danny Higginbotham, he seemed to kind of uh, was a much better fit than Tim Howard. Uh, Tim has... I think good days and bad days and um his his style is just not um not really con- well, not conducive and it doesn't really fit well with uh with the NBC sports style. I mean I I think it just uh is not a good fit yet. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Don't forget, you can get your World Soccer Talk merchandise, including Enjoy Your Football t-shirts and hats 
uh, and Ashley Polo shirts too. Uh, just check out uh, worldsoccertalk.com and then look for the um, the button on the nav bar, uh, on the navigation bar that says merch. And we've got uh, lots of different things for you to choose from. And Kartik, uh, before we head out of here, uh, where can listeners find you on Twitter if they want to uh, uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, KKFLA737. My DMs are open. Feel free to uh, to buzz me anytime. All right, so Kartik's got the uh, Madrid derby. I've got Chelsea against Everton. And there's a whole ton of games to watch this weekend. I mean, some really, really exciting matches from around the world. And Kartik, uh, whether they're watching it in person, as we've seen now with a lot of fans coming back into stadiums, uh, as well as uh, or, or watching it on television or streaming, uh, what are you going to do and, and what should they do? Enjoy your football. 